Well, hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream and with Roy Colan and Dr. Uh, Jane Marquis, we welcome our very special guest who has been working so hard just to bring the truth to many of us. And that's Dr. Jessica Rose. And uh, we appreciate any of you to help us and just share this podcast, this uh, episode, and follow her at jessicauniverse.com and also at her substack, the jessica.substack.com. So welcome again, and thank you for everything that you've been doing. So just a little bit, I just read a little bit of what I know from about Dr. Jessica Rose, but for many of you who really ha has not been living under the rock or has been awake, and uh, you know you've been following many of her colleagues, Dr. Peter McCullough and many others, and not just um, scientists, but also historians. She's a popular guest in many of these podcasts, which is actually for me, the alternative media is not an alternative media, but it is the main media right now that every one of us must follow. So she is born in Ottawa, Canada, and I'm happy that she is from the same country as Dr. Jane Markey. And she completed her master's in immunology and was then invited to Israel where she completed her PhD in computational biology and completed two postdoctorate degrees. So, okay. So, and the first in molecular biology and second in biochemistry. So for some of you who are skeptics about no science, no science, wake up. There is a lot of science, but it's what kind of science are you reading, listening, and following? So Dr. Rose actually has recently co-authored with Dr. Peter McCullough, a peer-reviewed and published paper reviewing VAERS data and adverse events with young vaccinated people showing an especially high incidence of myocarditis, which is the inflammation and scarring of the heart. And she believes that, not just believe, but she there's a lot of evidence there that people who have been jabbed under the age of 20 had 19 times the chance of being hospitalized from the heart-related adverse event than an unvaccinated person being hospital from COVID. And we all know also we've been hearing, um, unless you're just watching the, the CNN, the controlled media, then you wouldn't know that kids have been dropping like flies, uh, the sports, the ath our athletes, okay? And just that. So uh, I truly thank Dr. Jessica Rose. And at the beginning of this year, I believe it is important that we be grateful for scientists who have put themselves in line, okay? trying to tell us, trying to show all of this and helping gradually so that we, at some point, this could really change. Although there's some, some people are saying that this might continue in the next 10 more years, but we wanna change that pattern that we could continue this nefarious agenda. So Dr. Jessica Rose, I, my first question would be, what is it that making you continue 
what you're doing now. Because, you know, if we're getting stressed trying to do our part and we're just little podcasters, <laughs> okay, trying to influence people, what is it that will make you pursue and pursue and research, write your substack? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, I, I would never refer to anybody doing podcasts like this as little. Uh, you guys are like one of the reasons why uh, I continue. And, you know, you're inspiring. Um, we're all doing this together and we're all motivated by the, th the same things. And uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, people like you guys it's the people who are being injured it's it's my um my rebel nature i i don't like liars um i don't like being told what to do if it's not rational um and it it is continuing so i have to continue and so does everybody else and it's uh you know i think the dam's gonna break soon to be honest with you um I've said in the past, like even the, the legacy media is going to have to roll over soon because all the, even though the legacy media is paid off, I, I realize how strong and powerful that is, but it's still the legacy media. They're still like, um, it's still for show, if, if you want to put it that way. Um, they're going to require ratings if they want to keep existing. They can be funneled as much money as possible, but if no one listens to them, then they're going to go away. And that's what's happening. I mean, Rogan is the most number, he's the number one podcast in the world now, and he's just a guy who, who likes talking about everything. So um, they're going to have to flip if they want to stay alive. Uh, and I think that's what's going to start happening. I'm starting to see signs of that. And it's because of, you know, what, what we've all been saying the whole time. Like, you, you, we can't hide the bodies anymore. It's too obvious. And in reference to what you, you said, I'm thinking about this a lot every day now. It's like, if you're not living under a rock, as you said, and you're online at all, even once during the day, you will see a story of someone dying, a young person, an athlete, even an old person with the word suddenly tacked onto it or previously in, in good health or you know some strange story about a sudden death occurrence. And that's like, I, I'm trying to think how, how can I get the people who are still kind of swallowing the narrative or living you know, in, with the tunnel vision to try and see that that's really not like, it's not normal from any um, stretch of the imagination. Like try to imagine yourself before all this uh, psyop torture that we've been going through for two years, try and imagine if you'd turned on your TV or gone on Twitter or Facebook and seen accounts of people dropping dead Try and imagine what you would think about that. Because like my mindset is like, whoa, you know, that's, that's top news. That should be the thing that everybody is talking about today and tomorrow and the next day until investigations are done, etiologies are discovered and solutions are found. 
right? So <laughs> it's um, it's wild how it's becoming normal. It's becoming normalized through this psyop brainwashing operation that young people dying or young people suffering myocarditis or um, you know random healthy people having strokes is normal. How is it that so many newscasters are live on camera and suffering these crazy physical uh, discrepancies, I'll call them? Why, why, you know, again, I'm, I'm ranting, but uh, in answer to your question, the long version, it's like, I just don't understand why this isn't the top story in, in, in every news outlet, like even the legacy media, because it's like, people are dying. That's serious. We need to find out why. <laughs> or we need to stop lying about why. And how do you, in your process of uncovering some of this data, uh, Dr. Rose, how, how, how do you find, um, how, what do you find in the connection of the pharmaceutical companies to the different sectors of the governments and not just our government, but also connected to the rest of the government? Because sometimes it's like now recently, you know how, like there's a lot of uh, um, publication or announcement about what's happening in China or what they're doing with their own people. And so it, that's going to affect, again, how we look at it. So, But how do you do that in such a way that we don't get misled to which information? Um. I'm not sure I, I get your question. Um, I, I don't really dig into the, like, okay, geopolitics is fascinating to me, but I'm really focused on data only. And uh, so I'm, I'm not sure I'm getting to the crux of what you want to know, but um, yeah, in terms of, yeah, well, the specific I, data. I okay, sorry. I can, yeah, no, 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 no. I, can I, I guess, address it to the adverse data, okay? Because um, is it still reliable to look at the adverse data in United States? And are oh, also, yeah. yeah, is that reliable to look at? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, uh, I, I guess you're, you're referring to um, the crowd of people who are um, trying to debunk VAERS. So VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. I've been analyzing this data for a couple of years now. Didn't even know it existed before this COVID nonsense started. Um, it's a government database. It's a, uh, a federal offense to file a false VAERS entry. It's owned by the CDC and the FDA. There are specific people hired to vet this data. Now, there are problems with VAERS. There's no denying that. But the problems lie primarily in the underreporting, because people are not incentivized to report or because the system is antiquated and it takes a half an hour to file on an online report and there's no guarantee that your report is ever going to end up with a permanent ID. I mean, yes, there are problems, but here's the thing. Even with all of these problems, 
There are currently over 1.4, almost 1.5 million reports of adverse events in the context of the COVID products alone in the United States. Now, that might not mean something to, to someone who doesn't know historically what VAERS has um, been filled up with. So I'll, I'll give you some context. VAERS has been on the go for about 30 years. Um, and the average number of adverse events, all of the adverse events in total for all vaccines combined for the past 30 years has been about 39,000. 39,000, okay, for the entire year, for 30 years for all vaccines combined. What I'm referring to is primarily three products. Novavax is new on the market. So, you know, there's a couple of entries for Novavax, but primarily it's Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen. Just these three products in the last two years, there's 1.5 million reports. So there's no comparing whatsoever what's going on in VAERS. So it's a functioning pharmacovigilance tool. It's designed to detect safety signals. Um, you know what? I'll even go there. Even if some percentage of these reports were fake, which would be very difficult to achieve because it is a federal offense to do that and they are vetted. So there's like a, uh, many lines of defense to prevent that. Even if there were, there's still an, an astonishingly high number of reports that are not being addressed by the entities that hold the data and they're not being um, assessed so that we can try and figure out if these safety signals coming from over 14,000 different types of adverse events are a serious problem that warrant taking these products off the market. That's what the normal procedure is. So VAERS is functioning very well right now, no matter what the naysayers wanna say. Uh, the UDR system, the yellow card system, the Dane even, as terrible as all of these adverse event data collection systems are throughout the world and different countries, they're all showing the same thing. There are millions of reports, neurological, cardiovascular, and deaths. I mean, these are the three chunks of adverse events that you can consider pretty serious. And they're, they're all saying the same thing and they're all off the charts. It's, it's just, it's, we're, we're all like, how can this still be going on? Like not, not one iota of what's been happening in data, in peer-reviewed publishing, in science, in medicine has been acceptable. Or, I, you know, I hate the word normal, but let's just say typical considering, you know, previous uh, behaviors and activities throughout the years. I mean... If 50 people died from a pharmaceutical or a biological product in the past, that product would be investigated because of the association of 50 deaths. And if they found that there was a potential causal link, just potential based on the precautionary principle, that product would get pulled because of the possibility that it's going to cause more deaths. So we exceeded 50 deaths in January 2021 for these products. We, we far exceeded it. 
So there's been no cutoff. There are no cutoffs for the number of deaths or adverse events or disability. None. Nowhere, nowhere in sight. It's like tumbleweed. Um, and then, you know, somebody might say, maybe they don't know. They know. <laughs> we send them emails all the time. <laughs> they know. It's their data. It's their responsibility. If I was the CDC director, things would be very different from how they are now. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, so... There, these tools, these pharmacovigilance databases are functioning well. And as, as again, as flawed as they are, they're representing uh, what's going on right now. And what's going on right now is that these products, not just the mRNA products, these products associated with COVID are damaging a percentage I don't know what percentage, but a percentage of the population of people that were injected with them. And it's something like 6 billion doses were given out to date. So this matters. This is not a small number of people who are suffering. And no matter where you look and no matter where you listen, you're hearing stories about people suffering like, hey, I had that happen too, or my neighbor said that same thing, or my mom had that, or, oh, wow, I, I never thought it might have been the shot. I mean, all these realizations are coming now. No one can be blamed because it's been, like, forced on us that these things are safe and effective for so long. I mean, it's, it's literal brainwashing. But it's time to become self-responsible people. We can't, uh, we can't deny this anymore. There's a problem. Thank you. And before I pass it on to Roy, um, do you have any message for uh, people who are still like, uh, who've been duped and they're still kind of thinking about it or just, you know, just, those who have really had that loss of family or loss of normal functioning, I mean, real normal functioning, do you have any message for them? You, you mean people who are injured? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, my first message is you're not alone. Uh, you're really, really not alone. Um, if you aren't aware of Breedressin and React19, uh, react19.com, reach out. Uh, this is an amazing group of people who are vaccine injured. This is um, uh, a nonprofit organization they, they are taking uh, donations somehow. I don't know how that works, but they're offering the ability to help financially with medical bills, um, definitely with emotional support. Uh, you might be able to find friends because sometimes you just need someone to talk to every day about the fact that you're not crazy, that your body feels like it's on fire or whatever it is you're going through. Um, Another thing I want to give people hope about, I get a lot of emails from people uh, asking, am I going to be okay? Which is a real hard one for me because I'm not a medical doctor and I'm not really allowed to give medical advice. But um, how I usually uh, approach that is by saying what I would do, um, which is, um, first of all, try and relax as much as you can. And I ask them uh, if they feel okay. And usually people say, yeah, I feel great. It's just that I'm kind of scared because of what I'm hearing. And I'm like, well, if you feel great, 
you're fine. Like, don't worry because stress is going to craze out your immune system, even if you're perfectly healthy. Um, and there are uh, therapeutics. There are ways to bring down inflammation because a lot of what's happening with this spike mediated damage is an inflammatory response from your own body. So the, the, it's like, you gotta, you gotta treat the fire with the right product. So you don't want to throw water on a grease fire type thing. So you want to, you want to treat it with the right thing, the right anti-inflammatory. So, um, I'm a huge, uh, promoter of turmeric, uh, I, I'm a surfer, so I used to get really bad uh, sinus infections from dirty water after surfing. And a surfer friend of mine said to me one day, also not a doctor, but a magician, uh, you have to try drinking turmeric every day with a fat um, or with some cracked pepper. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, this is gonna help your sinus infections. You'll never get one again. So uh, he wasn't wrong. I started this turmeric thing. It tastes like feet, but you know, it helps. And I never, I haven't had a problem with my sinuses since, knock on wood. Um, and it's also, it, it's, it's literally one of the most potent anti-inflammatories. It's antiviral, fungal, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like a, a wonderful uh, spice. Um, so yeah, my, I don't want to go through, you know, dietary everything, but I do want to say that that's very important. Um, a lot of the solutions are going to come from getting this machine um, maybe working better than it ever did before. Maybe that's the mixed blessing here. So there, there's always hope um, and don't stress out. <laughs> that's, that's my advice. Excellent. Um, just with the VAERS reporting, because we've had a, <clears throat> excuse me, we've had a few guests and a lot of times people are saying there's underreporting. you know, some are saying maybe it's 1%, others are saying, you know, it's 10%. And I actually saw one of your videos where you actually, you're using their own statistics. And I believe it's something like a multiple of 31. So you might just touch on that to let people know, because, you know, a lot of people wouldn't be aware of that. Right. So, there was a, a study um, by this organization uh, of the what the underreporting factor of VAERS might be. Now, this was pre-COVID, and it wasn't in the context of COVID. So it's, it's out of context, uh, this 1% thing. Anyway, they found that about 1% of people are reporting an adverse event uh, to VAERS if they succumb. So that's one in a hundred people. If a hundred people are suffering from say uh, an adverse event induced by the flu shot, one person is gonna report. So um, I don't think it's uh, 1%. I think it's definitely going to be a range depending on what adverse event you're talking about, especially if you're talking about death versus chills. Um, so this 31 that you mentioned, uh, I decided to take a crack at what the underreporting factor might be for the, the COVID products in this context. And I used the Pfizer phase three clinical trial data, severe adverse event rate, which was 0.7%. And I used that uh, in the context of how many shots had been administered and how many severe adverse events were in VAERS, submitted to VAERS at that time. And it was just napkin math. And I came up with 31 um, Steve Kurz has also done this assessment, Matthew Crawford and I, and he got 41 using anaphylaxis as a proxy. And there's another estimate where it's uh, closer to 100, but 
it's it's somewhere between it well again it de- it depends on the adverse event but let me just say this i'm comfortable using a conservative estimate of 31 as an underreporting factor but having said that we don't need to consider an underreporting factor here and here's why the numbers are insanely high without them and that speaks volumes think about what i just said we don't have to consider the hundreds of thousands it might even be millions of extra people that aren't being counted in order to see that something very wrong is going on in terms of um the the safety profile of these products uh and when you when you add that to the fact that these things were on an accelerated timeline to get to emergency use authorization as fast as possible i mean i don't know if you guys know this but biologicals which are you know vaccines qualifies biologicals which these products aren't i can talk about that too they normally go through 5 to 15 years of safety and efficacy testing safety is first because if your product isn't safe who cares if it works right um so there's there are stages that you have to go through and there's they're serious and they were developed over a long time and they work you know you have animal trials phase 1 2 3 then you have authorization and then you have uh subsequent phase 4 you know uh pharmacovigilance um um uh monitoring it takes a long time for a reason because you don't want to put a product that's not safe into a lot of people because that could be really bad so that 5 to 15 years for conventional vaccines was squished into about a year the phase 3 trials took 6 months the animal trials weren't done until after the phase 1 and 2 were overlapped i mean there was so much wrong with how they did this that even if they'd done it with a conventional vaccine which is like a, an attenuated virus with you know viral proteins it still would have been incredibly bad but these aren't conventional vaccines so when you combine the fact that we have no long term safety data with the fact that we're seeing all of these safety signals that are enormous and loud and red flaggy You just got to throw up your hands and say what's going on here? Where are the regulators? Where's the FDA? Where's the TGA? Where are all these like these bodies that are supposed to be the middlemen between the pharmaceutical companies and the people? And by the way, we're all paying for this. You should check that out. We are paying for it. I mean, paying like for it, the FDA it. apparently is 75% funded by Big Pharma. I'm not sure about the CDC, but that's a serious conflict of interest straight away. So like even with the reporting, because I wasn't aware who was actually in charge of it, but you mentioned CDC and the FDA. Like, are they actually even hiding? Because is there, are you aware of anybody that has entered the information and it actually didn't appear, especially debts and stuff like that, because it's making them look bad. So if they're hiding the information as well, to even make the statistics differ in their favor. We, we know that there's data fudgery. Um, and by we, I mean all of the data scientists that I collaborate with. It's crazy what we're discovering. I mean, we're, I don't think people understand like, um, 
we're serious uh, kind of indoctrinated scientists. Those of us who went to med school, those of us who have been under the academic umbrella for our entire lives, like this is all I've done. I've never had a job. I'm a researcher. I'm fully indoctrinated. I still have the textbooks I learned from, you know, way back when. And for me to, to be here witnessing fraud, data fudgery, I mean, data being changed before your eyes. I mean, like a government website, you know, you screenshot the numbers one day and then the next day it's different. For somebody who has a keen eye, who's trained in pattern recognition, who's doing data science, it's really hard to be going through this right now. I really want to stress that because sometimes, you know, people ask me like, what effect is this having on you? And it's, it, it, it's, it's really hard to get your head around because you want to trust in, in, you know, the, the, the agencies and the, and the people who are holding the data, the people who are collecting the data. I mean, the data is the data, the data in the context of theirs are people. They're, they're absolutely trustworthy. They're, they suffered an adverse event and they're trying to do their civic duty uh, by reporting their adverse event. That's what it's for. It's so that we can make the situation better and get people help through awareness. But it's the data handlers, the middlemen, that are really in charge of what we see the public and also the data scientists, what we have access to. So yeah, it's, it's pretty criminal, man. Um, there's no other way to put it. Um, and it's not just data, it's, it's policy. It's um, the, the militant uh, impositions on our lives. I mean, geez, <laughs> the state still won't allow people in the country who aren't injected, who aren't US citizens. I mean, what is that? What is that? Like, I never thought I would live to see the day when that would ever have been even attempted, let alone held onto for so long. I mean, that's... Totally. I don't even know what you asked me anymore. But. <laughs> we were kind of talking on the fraud, but something I just learned, I don't know, was it today or the day before? But basically, like, we all know about Fauci and all the crimes, but his wife, Christine Grady... In, in, for yeah. the National Institute of Health. She's the chief of the Department of Bioethics and the head of human subjects research and also doing a consultant to the AIDS thing. And we know how he was connected to the... Like, you couldn't make this up. The amount of corruption is you like... You couldn't make it up. And, and, and there's no conflicts of interest, right? <laughs> it's so... Like, it's it's bizarro world. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Um and that's another thing. Uh, you mentioned conflict of interest. Um, that, you know, when you publish a paper in a, in a scientific journal, you have to declare conflict of interest. And I believe the reason why they have that in place is because if you have one, they might not want to publish your paper because you're, you might be incentivized to make your data look good for that company you're working for. You know what I mean? It's like the revolving door thing. Wink, wink. So that doesn't matter anymore either. 
You can have a conflict of interest list this long on a peer-reviewed published paper now. You can be working for Gates. You can be working for uh, Pfizer. Doesn't matter. Kaiser Permanente. Doesn't matter. You can still publish your data and you can still say, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, using your data, that these products are safe and effective. It's preposterous. It's written in most of their contracts when they sign them off with Pfizer or whatever pharma company it is. You can't talk about their product in a bad light. You have to, if you reference it, you have to speak of it as a benevolent thing. So it's like, that's what conflict of interest declarations are meant to be for. Doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, like you mentioned, Gates. I mean, Gates is in, in cahoots with the NIH, with the World Health Organization. He's come out said it's the best investment he's ever done. You know, it's like I like because uh, something that I've seen as well is somebody was uh, talking about the damages with the kind of aluminium nanoparticles going to the brain. So they were saying that they've it's proven for animals, but I mean for me. Anything that's done with animals is similar to humans. And we see the increase in Parkinson's, in Alzheimer's and everything. And like these injections are full of that stuff. And like people aren't even checking what the ingredients are. So even if you do your research and just look at what's in it, that would stop you from actually taking anything. Yep. Yeah, no, we have no idea to this day. And, And you know, it's even worse than that. Um, there's so much variability, not just lot to lot, but from vial to vial, because it's just about humans. Yeah, you, you, I always try and think of it this way. That one person that handles that one, that vial that has that content, whatever it is, however it was treated, whatever was put in there in the beginning, we don't know any of that. They're in charge of your entire life, your entire existence now, because even if that product has what it was meant to have in it, in it, and it's not harmful, if that's mishandled, it could still hurt you. I'm just making a point about the fact that, like, we literally don't know what's being injected into anybody on site. No idea. And I've seen we don't in know Poland, if- I don't know, is it happening around the world? But basically, they were given, like, Morden at first and then saying, yeah, you can take Pfizer next. So you were mixing two toxic concoctions and it was like, it's grand. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. I mean, my first reaction was as a data scientist, it's like, well, this is just going to bugger the data beyond belief. We'll never be able to draw any you know, conclusions from this product or this product because they just started mixing them. We can't even, there's too much noise now, but... Now they're saying on their websites that you shouldn't mix them under certain circumstances. So, I mean, it's, not, it's a no-brainer to, to me that you shouldn't mix any kind of pharmaceuticals if you don't have a contraindication list, which we don't. Nobody checked. It's not good enough just to say it's fine. Nobody checked if it was fine. And it seems like it, it might not be fine. So, yeah, there's there's... Wow, product variability, quality control, uh, administrator uh, competence, um, handling efficacy, 
And the most important thing of all, which we really want to know, but we're not going to be allowed to ever because it's a trade secret, is what the hell is in these things in the first place? You know, it's meant to have a full-length spike template, which is the, the spike from the original Wuhan chicken recipe, I call it, SARS-CoV-2, um, which has a furin cleavage site, by the way. So if they mimicked that spike protein, first of all, that, that could be really bad news from the get-go. Let's not even talk about the immunological response that's going to be induced. We don't know what that encoding template is. We have no idea. And most of the information that I have on this, that I've read on quality control documents, reveals that the percent RNA integrity is really low. And they passed it. And they knew it was really low. It's supposed to be about 60 to go into humans. It was about 50 something. So they lowered the threshold in order to let it go by. So they're putting crap into people with a lower threshold that they ever would have allowed for percent RNA integrity, which means that when that RNA gets translated, whatever the hell it is, we don't know what it's being translated into, and therefore we don't know what the, the physiological effects of that are going to be. Maybe it's not going to have any, but maybe it will. And if the, the effects are bad, who the hell is culpable? Who, who's responsible for that? Who's responsible for the millions of people who might have been completely screwed by this? So there, there are all these obvious questions and facts that most people don't know now um, that just need to be addressed. I mean, en enough is enough. Every single person who's calling for a complete halt to injecting one more drop of this crap into one more person are 100% correct. This stuff, we need to end this for no other reason than it, they don't work anyway. Put the safety profile aside. They don't work. We have more than enough efficacy data proving that these things are useless. And not only that, they seem to make you more susceptible to COVID. The rates of getting COVID and the, the, the repetitions of getting COVID, probably of minor variations, are higher depending on how many shots you've had. So... I just, I don't get this. I mean, I know they have stockpiles. I know they have to, you know. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was laughing out earlier. They don't like what we're talking about. That's why we're getting <laughs> locked up. And just on it, like with the the aluminium in the brain, do, is are you aware of any way that people can actually get rid of that, get it out of their system? Or is that something that once we have it, it's there for, for life and we just have to live with the consequences further on? I don't know if I'm the right person to ask. I know very little about aluminum. Um, I do know that uh, metal ions, especially mercury, can really mess up um, 
mm, I believe it's the micro, the tubulin uh, production, which is related to the protection of neurons. I could be wrong about that. I'm not a neuroscientist, but um, I know that metals in the brain can be very bad. I know that there's an association with um, demyelinating diseases. Um, but the thing about the, the association with these COVID products is I'm not sure it has to do with metals. Um, I think this is an inflammatory response to, uh, to foreign proteins and substances that get into the brain and, and the CNS and, and the brainstem and, and everywhere. I mean, because of these lipid nanoparticles. And I think it's an inflammatory response of, from our bodies on our cells because they're, they're, they're embedded with these foreign proteins as part of a normal response. We're kind of, you know, um, destroying ourselves in a way. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I need to look into this further. Um, I need to learn more about brain chemistry and, but I do know that these things pass the blood brain barrier. They're not meant to, we were lied to about that. We weren't, um, they weren't wrong. They lied. They told us that these things stayed at the injection site um, that they wouldn't traffic uh, anywhere farther than, say, the local draining lymph node. That's absolutely false. It's been proven by dragging the data out by FOIA request. These things not only biodistribute across all these barriers, these necessary barriers of protection, but they bioaccumulate. So the, the ovaries are one of the locations they do this, the spleen, the liver especially, um, the brain, the heart, it goes everywhere. And so if it's doing what it's meant to do, what, if it, what it's designed to do, which is get to where it's going, lipid nanoparticle, whatever, dump its payload, which is this modified mRNA, which is very stable, very durable. Um, and the body starts, you know, producing, using its own machinery these proteins, whatever they would be on mass, those are foreign proteins. We're going to mount an immune response against those. It's going to be real potent. Yes, it's going to be spike specific or whatever, but wherever that spike um, is presented, or if it's soluble, wherever it lands, wherever it gets embedded, an immune response will ensue likely. This is going to be a highly inflammatory response. And if you get an ongoing and an ongoing inflammatory response, things have run the risk of getting off balance. Your T-regs might get off. Anyway, I don't want to get too technical, but this immune dysfunction has been obvious to me since the beginning of 2021 because of what I saw in VAERS. There's a there's a, a node between the cardiovascular, the 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 neurological, the hepatological, the the fertility stuff. There's some commonality, and it's the immune system, and it's getting completely dysfunctional. Um, so yeah. 
No, perfect. And just quick, quickly before I pass you to Jane, because I know you've touched on it as well, but I think it's very important is like uh, breastfeeding mothers and pregnant women that were actually, you know, got got the vaccine, which when I see posters in Poland of saying it's safe, that they couldn't be further from the truth. They're lying. Um, and that's that's you should collect those posters and keep them for posterity, because one of those days, those posters are going to be used to educate the future humans of what the hell we did in the past. I guarantee you they're going to look at that like we look at thalidomide and they're going to be like, how could we have been so stupid? How could we have done that to a, it's it's funny. Well, it's not funny at all. Um, it's 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 pregnant mothers again. You know, it's almost like, you know, I'm not going to go there, but um, they're being targeted and it, they're being lied to. I know this because there's no safety data that proves that these things are safe for pregnant women. And the reason I know that is because not enough time has passed, period. The breast uh, milk issue, the passage of uh, antigens through breast milk has been shown. Um, and adverse events in newborns are being reported in mothers who got the shots while they were pregnant, for example. And, and all of a sudden their baby's doing really bad. Now, what's the connection? I mean, my first thought would be, what are they getting from me? Well, they're getting breast milk, they're getting the antibodies, they're getting all these other antigens, proteins. I wonder if they're getting any other kinds of proteins that aren't meant to be there. So some of the, it's, it's really, it's hard to read actually, if you go into VAERS and read the, the symptom text, which is like the free text, uh, what's happening to these, um, these newborns, uh, it all, it's always the same. And this is another thing that, that makes you kind of think, whoa, is something going on here related to these shots? The baby uh, becomes lifeless, uh, doesn't want to eat, fidgety. Some of them have died. Um, it's, it's always the same story, listlessness. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's also, it's, bears is always leaves in the wind. It's not proof, but it's strong evidence, uh, especially when you have common sense. It's like somebody said yesterday to me, um, it was brilliant. It's like, you can't in good conscience not look at the safety data and, and completely turn your back from on it and walk away and say, there's no way that these shots are causing any of these. That's just stupid. Like you can't, there's nobody who can do that right now who has a leg to stand on because we, first of all, we just simply don't know because we haven't checked. We haven't done um, causality assessments that we're supposed to be doing. Well, I have, but they haven't. Um, and uh, it, is, it is my opinion that these shots are 100% causing uh, most of the adverse event reports that we're seeing. It's pretty obvious to see. I mean, temporality is one of the the Bradford Hill criteria, which is this criterion list that you have to satisfy to provide evidence of causation in epidemiological data. So what that means is that, first of all, one thing has to come before the other eh, to be a cause and effect. 
And the shorter that time frame, the higher the likelihood that one thing caused the other thing. And in the context of these VAERS reports, and we're not talking about anaphylaxis. We're talking about like heart conditions in some, in some heart incidents in some cases. This is less than 24 hours. And that's, that's the report being filed in less than 24 hours. So that incident, that onset was fast. There isn't a person alive who could look at that with conscience and not consider that this trigger, this injection, might not be responsible, you know, or might be responsible, however you want to say it. It's, it's just like, again, it's like, what? <laughs> That's how I feel. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much, Jessica. I'll pass on to Jane. Hi, Jessica. Yeah, this this mad rush to even, you know, use this product on babies is shocking. But you know what gives me hope is that someone like you was placed in a to look at VARES with your mindset at the perfect time and to be able to see this and expose it. And it just it gives me hope because the universe works in miraculous ways. And I just wonder if you could comment on that. And then I wanted you to comment on just how hard, right? You're saying that in order to get it entered into the system, it has to be irrefutable. Like, so these numbers that are there are irrefutable and very hard to get entered. I've heard doctors say that, you know, their evidence didn't get reported by VARES because it was missing certain credential or whatever. And then just run through the numbers, like the different conditions that are there and the, the numbers that are like, it's, it, it's, it's huge for the different conditions. Anyway, that's a lot, but it's, I'll lead you. I can help you if you lose I'll, my I'll, three questions. I'll work my way back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll work my way back. So the, you're right. Um, so Another anomaly in VARES right now, uh, and, and everyone bear in mind that I am only talking about VARES, but this is going on in all the, all the data sets, uh, just as prolifically as well. Um, the typical number of adverse event reports in a year for all the vaccines combined was 39,000, but the number of different adverse event types was also lower. It was something like 5,000, I don't know, it, it, just pulling a number out of the air that I remember. It was, it was in the low thousands or mid thousands. Now, in the context of three, four products, if you count Novavax, uh, we are over 14,000 different metric codes that are being used to describe the adverse events. Those are just the, the names that are assigned to the... Um, the side effect or the uh, the adverse event that's reported. So there's, you're right. The number of adverse event types is completely atypical. And the number of each, like whatever you want to pick, you don't have to just talk about myocarditis, which just seems to be all the rage. You can pick whatever you want. You can pick any neurological condition. You can pick the rarest thing that you never heard about. Just go on, you know, whatever web browser you use and type in rare autoimmune disease. And you'll get the name of something you never heard before. It was named after some guy. 
and look for it in theirs. I guarantee you, you'll find it. This is also proof because the number of rare conditions, diseases, syndromes, whatever you want to call them, that are appearing in VARES in the context of these shots never did before. I've done these examinations as well. Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which is very rare and very serious, it's a type of prion disease. And I'm not talking about prion disease entries. I'm talking about Kreutzfeldt-Jakob diagnoses. If you count those and you consider a very small underreporting factor of five, we've exceeded the background rate of, of Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease in the United States, which means almost necessarily, even if you want to take out the fact that these things are causing you know, an uptick in Kreutzfeldt-Jakob diagnoses, there's something there. There's something different about something that happened in 2021, and it needs to be investigated because prion diseases are not coronaviruses. They're actually serious. They kill you. Once you get diagnosed, you have about a year to live, and there's no solution. Not to scare everyone, but that's what's going on. So um, if you look at cancer, we're in the tens of thousands of reports in VAERS. If you look at disability, we're in the tens of thousands. If you look at severe adverse events, we're in the hundreds of thousands. And the, according to the VAERS handbook, the typical percentage of adverse event reports that should be, uh, that are deemed severe uh, in normal conditions, let's call it, is 15. We've been above 15% the whole time. We peaked at 57 percent in February 2021, and now we're somewhere around 22, which is still a lot higher than the norm. Severe adverse events, for those of you who don't know, includes death, disability, life-threatening illness, an emergency room visit, hospitalization, or birth defect that's been induced. So th these, are, these are serious. Um, neurological conditions, name your pick, whatever, Bell's palsy, seizures, uh, um, the, I guess Bell's palsy is the one that, where your face freezes, uh, other, uh, neuropathies, blindness, um, testicular abnormalities, fertility issues, spontaneous abortions, uh, stillbirths. I mean, you could pick anything you want. And, and I've looked at this. I'm not just saying this out of the air. I've looked at this the last 30 years of data. There's no comparison and it's not because there are more shots given out. I've checked that too. No, it's not that. There's something about these shots that is inducing more, more in magnitude and more in range adverse events in, in all demographics, young people, old people, healthy people, uh, not healthy people, you know, Asians, white people, black people, whatever. It's, it's happening in everyone. No one is immune. That's the point. Um, so I don't remember the middle question, but on the universe. Um, yeah, the, the universe is funny, hey? Um, I feel very aligned with the universe. I was thinking this yesterday. Um, uh, whenever I get deja vu, I feel like it's it's a reminder that I'm on the right path. Um, 
I don't get deja vus very often, unfortunately. I wish I got them more because then I'd feel like I was on the right path for more of the time. But uh, you get these little feelings, I suppose. I don't know how else to say it, that you're, you're doing the right thing. Sometimes I know that I'm doing the right thing because it feels so difficult because, you know, sometimes the right thing is really hard. Uh, but it, it also feels very good. Um, I know that I'm helping people uh, and that's what I've always wanted to do. That's why I went into science. Uh, I wanted to be a biologist and I ended up doing math because the biologist didn't want me. <laughs> and then I turned that into immunology. So I got them. Um, and I, ended, I wanted to go to med school. I applied twice. They didn't want me either. Uh, which was a mixed blessing because I wouldn't have fit in in med school. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that was my goal always. I wanted to, to use whatever I learned to help people. Uh, in a practical way, I would have loved to have done, but it's kind of becoming more that because I'm, I'm interacting more with real humans, um, which is, it's hard to describe the feeling. It's, it's really... Um, that's all we are. And so it kind of feels like I'm coming into who I am, uh, not just as Jessica, but as like a, a being, if you know what I mean. It's like, not to sound flaky, but we, we are kind of all the same. Um, you know, we're, and I don't just mean humans. I mean, all the living things and even planet Earth. It's like, it's, it's all the same kind of um, entity, living, breathing, vibrating together. And if one thing is off, then I think all things are off, which is why there's so much wrong with which, what's going on now. There's so much imbalance, not just in, in power and money, um, just in attachment. I mean, so many people are detached from themselves, from being, from their, their planet, from from all the things that matter, all the things of value, I think. And there's this, uh, and I'm not blaming anyone. We, we live in a consumerism-driven, very sick society, uh, if you ask me. Uh, and it's, it's, it's even hard to see that you're inside of that. I didn't for like two decades <laughs> um, until somehow you, you, you step out of it and you look at it and you're like, oh my God, that's, I wasn't happy there. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the universe is kind of, uh, not just for me, but it, it's, it is what it is and it can't be any other way. And you can either choose every day to try and fulfill your role uh, in whatever the big picture is, or you can choose not to. So I feel like um, I'm stepping into whatever role I might uh, have to play uh, to make this all better, or at least good for as many people as possible. Um, I, I got a calendar from a from a lovely, uh, you know, fan, a sub Substack reader. She she takes these photos herself of her cats. <laughs> she sent me a calendar. Uh, so I, some sometimes I even get like little uh, reminders in the mail. <laughs> that I'm, I'm, uh, it's making a difference what I'm doing. So I, I feel delighted, um, 
really delighted by that. And not to sound morbid, but I love data. I, that, this is what I do. So I, uh, to be able to, to do what I love doing and have it directly affect people is, is it's kind of wonderful in a way. But, you know, it's, it's terrible why I'm doing it, but it's wonderful that it might be helping. <laughs> right, because you said you didn't even know what VERS was, and then you chose it to look at, right? Yeah, it was the, the one database that had uh, easily downloadable CSV files. Um, the, the other ones are just like, ugh, the, they're not, uh, they kind of take, you know, so, somebody meat grinds the data and puts it into a, a user-friendly interface thing so you can kind of see totals and stuff. But to a data scientist, that's useless. I don't want your interpretation of what the data is. I want the raw data. I want just numbers. Um, but, oh, I remember what you asked before. It's very difficult to get an entry into VAERS. Um, it's an online process that's multiple electronic pages. And if you don't fill out each electronic page on time, it boots you off and you have to start again. So if you succeed, um, takes about 30 minutes. So it's, it's an effort to file a VAERS report. Imagine you're a general practitioner or a nurse practitioner after a really long shift and you have 10 of these, how many of them are you gonna file? I mean, this just lends to the underreporting factor even more. So, but here's the bad news. Even if you go through all that effort, all you get is assigned a temporary VARES ID. You have no guarantee, no guarantee that that's ever going to be vetted and converted into a permanent VARES ID. And here's the worst part. Even if you do go through all of those hoops and manage to get your VAERS ID entry into the database that the front end users can download and use, it might get disappeared. <laughs> I also wrote a paper on this. VAERS IDs go missing all the time. I have many people who are telling me, uh, I, I filed my VAERS ID, I went to check on it, or I went to, to uh, make an update, let's say, which is another issue, and I couldn't find it. It's not in the database anymore. So these are first-hand accounts. And also, you know, I, I've, I've, I've looked at this over a year ago, and I published on it. There, there are between 50 and 100 VARES IDs going missing every week. And that was before. It might be more now. So, right. yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of treachery going on in the middle and then, uh, which we, we yeah. have control of. And then there's all the deaths that happen two to three months later, right? Where it's impossible to make the connection. Like these are entries that happened within a very short period of time and it's irrefutable. That's why yeah. I, sometimes and I think it's the perfect crime, right? Because how can you prove that it was that three months later? Why you can't. Um, not only that, but if you enter a, a VAERS ID successfully for, say, um, I don't know, something pretty bad like myocarditis, and then you end up dying and your relative tries or your doctor tries to update your VAERS entry, that won't work. Updates aren't being done. So imagine all those deaths that aren't being counted too. I mean, we're, we're, when I said these are like 
low estimates. If, if I didn't say that, I'm going to say it now. Any number I ever quote is an extremely conservative estimate, low estimate. I mean, if you tack on the underreporting factor, if you tack on all of these fudgeries going on in the middle, wow. I mean, we're in a crisis right now. That's why I said in the beginning, like, I don't understand why this isn't headline news, no matter who's buying you off. This is an actual crisis of humanity. Yeah. Right? And how so they're still I, pushing it. Jessica, what, right. right? what are the number, like, this is really simple and bold, but what are the number of actual deaths that as of today, what are the numbers on VAERS and how quickly does a death have to get reported to get actually on, like counted? Well, um, it, if it's a death right away and you make it to the front end, it, it, it will occur however long it was uh, after the person died. There's usually it could take up to three months for it to get entered. Um, so there are two data sets that you can download um, in VAERS. There's the foreign data and the domestic data. So the domestic data set is for the reports filed within the U.S. by U.S. citizens, and the foreign data set are VAERS reports that were filed out of country to the manufacturers and then submitted to VAERS. So if you combine those two now, we are at 39,961, and that includes spontaneous abortions. I count those in my deaths. Um, and that, that's a lot. I mean, like I said, we, we far exceeded 50 deaths. Uh, this is, I mean, it's a lot more than 50. Um, and that's, again, not including any underreporting factor. These silly bivalent shots um, started being dished out. And even in the context of those, even though they've only been being given out for weeks and the uptake is low, there are still 144 deaths associated with those things in bears right now. And I say associated loosely because those things are meant to be being given to people who've already had a number of shots. And this is another tragedy about the data side of this. There's never going to be any way for anybody to say anything specific about the damages caused by these stupid, bivalent, useless shots, because they're always going to be in the context, unless, unless they're the only shot that somebody got, which is happening in VAERS. But um, yeah, so actually there is that condition, which I am looking at, but usually you can't say anything about that being the causal, you know, um, uh, agent, because you have all these other shots, you have mixing of shots, you have mixing of products and types of products. And yeah, it, it's just a mess. It's a mess. Like, all we should be doing right now is cleaning up the mess. That's what we should be doing right now. Yeah. And instead, it's being covered up. And pushed. any way possible and pushed. Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you for everything you've done. You're welcome. Thank you for being where you are right now. I'll pass you back to Grace. Um, you're awesome, Jessica. So what else would you want to share 
today. <laughs> but you are, and I'm glad you're not a, you're not a doctor or an MD, okay? Because this is what you are meant to be, I believe, <laughs> you know? And I, it's nice that you love what you do. Yeah, I do. I, I can't do anything I don't love, which is, um, it's a mixed blessing in and of itself because it makes it kind of hard to be in society, um, you know, jobs and stuff. But uh, when, you, when you actually find uh, uh, yourself doing what you love, wow, what a, what a, what a merging of, uh, of good stuff um, in life. Um, so yeah, I, uh, what, what else do I have to say? Um, I have well, a lot of hope. <laughs> oh, well, also, I have Substack. How do you help to support you? Uh, well, Substack, you know, just read what I write. I, I appreciate that very, very much. The feedback I get is amazing. Um, I do a lot of synopses of scientific journals. Uh, I do a lot of teaching, which I, I also kind of fell into doing that I find that I love. <laughs> I'm not a writer, by the way, but now I am. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have a website, Jessica's Universe, where I update VAERS data every week. Um, and uh, I have a Twitter account, but I'm, I try not to promote Twitter too much. Um, but uh, the reach is good on Twitter, so sometimes I use it. Um, but yeah, I, I just want everyone to know that I'm, I'm, as long as I'm breathing, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this because, uh, it, it, maybe even when it's over, I'm going to keep doing it in another avenue because there is so much chaos in, in the world of systems. Um, and a lot of our systems need to be rebuilt. So maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll use my energies for that if we get past this, um, but yeah, we're going to get past this by reclaiming our humanity. It's as simple as that. Um, be as human as you can be. Uh, love and, and, and touch, you know, hug. Um, don't wear those stupid things over your face. Those don't work. Um, they're just muzzles. Um, they're, they're more of a symbol to, to shut the people up. And I, I kid you not, guys. I, I know about PPE. Those things don't keep out viruses. Um, yeah, get lots of sunshine, exercise, maybe use this as an opportunity if you were feeling like crap about what you were eating to change your eating, uh, make, make this a, uh, a change toward, uh, a more vital you. Um, I know I sound like the eternal optimist, but I kind of am. It's like everything I see is an opportunity. <laughs> so I, I'm throwing that out to the world. <laughs> Thank you. And since you love water, so for those swim, surf, dive, whatever you want to do in the ocean, sail, you know. So And talk to the fishes. <laughs> exactly. Talk to the fishes. And so we thank you again. And uh, Roy, Jane, and I, and hopefully you will come back again in the near future. Okay? Thank you. And please, please, to all of you, share, share, share and follow her and read don't as she said do your own due diligence because it is unconditional and unacceptable <laughs> <laughs> exactly 